You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Amen. Amen. Please do take your seats. And as we do so, can we show some thanks to our worship team this morning? Thank you so much serving us so well each and every week. Wonderful. Well, it's my joy and my honor to be finishing off our Daniel series this morning. Who's enjoyed our Daniel series? Incredible. I'm really glad to see that because the stewards are going to help us now. We're going to have a little test of the last five weeks. So that's a joke. Don't worry. We're not really having a pop quiz. I was thinking about it, though. I did think about it. I thought, what would my first question be? I think it would be, how do you spell Nebuchadnezzar? I think that would be a tough one. But we've been in the book of Daniel. We've been looking at Kingdom Bringers, the title of our series, Carrying God's Culture in a Kingdom of Compromise. This beautiful and incredible picture that we are a called out people. And while there might be compromise in the world around us, a certain way that society would tell us how to think and act and how to live, that as God set apart people, we are called to live differently. Amen? That we're called to live in a way that is set apart and brings praise and glory to our God. We've discovered so much in the last five weeks. I've learned a lot on the journey too. And I'm not going to try and recap all of the last five weeks. If you've missed any, I'd encourage you to, to head to our YouTube channel to check them out. But we've learned some things, and I'll just run through some things Firstly, what we understood from Daniel and his friends' lives, that we're called to know our God-given identities, that we're called to resolve to live differently, that as the people of God in a culture of compromise, we must pray Because we are so dependent on God that prayer changes things. It changes us and the environment around us. We learn that God's ways work. Even if we might not fully understand in a moment, we learn that we're called to worship God alone, that we need to do the hard work and sometimes the messy and humbling and very painful work of identifying pride and humbling ourselves before God. That we as a people have the joy of being able to give God full control of our lives. How incredible is this? These are truths, not just things that I reel off, but these are truths for our lives. And yet we can hear them, and yet the change will come when we can put these things by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit into practice in our lives. Not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And as we finish this week, my title for today is simply this, that we are called to bring the kingdom. We are called to bring the kingdom. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are called. You are called. For us as followers of Jesus, we belong to a kingdom. Every kingdom has a king and our king is Jesus. And so when we say we're called to bring the kingdom, what we're saying is that we're called by God himself, invited by God himself to, to take part in his redemptive work, in his plan, to bring the rule and reign and lordship of Jesus Christ, to minister his grace and his love and his peace and his mercy to the world around us. That we are called and invited. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, then you don't have to just magically receive that call or feel like God has to arrive in your bedroom to speak to you directly. He's already called you. 
He would have to arrive and say, otherwise, for you not to be called. But you are called to bring the kingdom. Each and every one of us have an incredible part to play in bringing the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. I get excited about that. Anyone else? That he's chosen to use little old me to bring the kingdom. That astounds me. That means that by his spirit, he empowers us to live in such a way that we're called to be ambassadors of the Most High. Paul talks to the church in Corinth about being his ambassadors, about being ministers of reconciliation. Hey, you might not have some ministerial accreditation, but did you know that you're a minister? You are a minister. When I got this at the age of 16 or 17, it changed my life. That I was called to be a minister of reconciliation. The Bible talks about making a plea on God's behalf of saying, hey, he loves you, he's for you, he's died for you. There's some bad news that right now you might be dead in your sin and transgression, but hey, there is good news. He has died to set you free. To be his hands and feet, to shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation. To live a life full of faith. To show our God to this world. We're called to bring the kingdom, church. And as we close our series this week, I want us to consider some truths that we see in the book of Daniel, how they're relevant to our lives right now, to your lives as a follower of Jesus, and the difference that letting these things shape the way that we think and the way that we frame our lives will change our lives as kingdom bringers. And the first thing that I want us to understand, the first truth I want us to understand is this. There is purpose in your position. There is purpose in your position. And when I say position, I don't just mean if you've got a title at work or in your job, although it certainly does apply to your job. I'm talking about your place in life right now. Every facet of your life, every sphere, there is purpose in it. When we read some of what happened in the book of Daniel, we might think that he was sent undercover with some incredible team to bring the kingdom and shine for God. Read all these incredible exploits and stories and miracles and stories of faith. And yet while he and his friends, they did shine for God and bring the kingdom, he was not sent on some sort of incredible mission. Right at the start of the book of Daniel, we read this. Daniel 1, 1 to 2, it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. One interesting framing at the start of the book of Daniel. Daniel and the Israelites being in Babylon was a consequence of the Israelites' sin. It was God's judgment on Israel for the turning away from God. You see, Daniel himself as an individual, maybe he wasn't involved in this collective sin, but he didn't find himself in Babylon because of some divine sense of call. He didn't pick up one day with the Israelites and go, right, I'm going to go to Babylon because they need to hear about our God Yahweh. It was through the sin of his people, and yet what we see here is although it might not have been God's best and God's heart, he delivered them into the hands of the Babylonians. We see the sovereign God still in the midst of this. And as we read the book of Daniel, it's so important to frame this in our understanding because he was not abandoned by God. 
He was not left despised or dejected. And even if this was not the Lord's best for the Israelites in what he wanted or spoke over them, the ever faithful one was determined to use it for good. And so we see that this sovereign God can even use our mess and our muddles and our sinfulness to bring glory. If we would trust him and see him at work. I don't know about you, but I find this encouraging because these last five weeks of amazing things happening because of the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends, it's ultimately because of the faithfulness of their God. It all comes on this backdrop and an encouragement to each and every one of us today. I don't know what circumstances have led you to be where you are right now in life, but let me tell you there is purpose in your position. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. You've not Your situation has not taken God by surprise. And you might feel that you're in your situation because of a failing in life. Or because of a series of failings. Or you might feel that you're very far from what God would want for you. Let me tell you, God's will is not a tightrope. God is bigger. And he sees you right now in these very moments. Why? Because God delights to use you right where you are. God delights to use you right where you are because he promises in Romans 8, 28 to use all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. This is so relevant because some of you in this room, you might feel such a sense of destiny and such a sense of call. Maybe you've just felt called from the age of five. Maybe your parents went out one day and they left the receipts all in the middle and you did an amazing job of sorting out their finances. You looked at their liquid assets age five and you came back with a proposal and you just knew you were called to be an accountant. If that's your call, God bless you. I know it's not mine. You just knew from a young age. You get some people like that, right? But for, for the most of us, We go along and and even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, every day we have to be reminded, Lord, I stand in your purposes. Because some days even a job that seems like the dream job or the sense of call that you've stepped into, you have to be reminded that there is purpose in your position. You might have no idea why you are where you are today. You might not be in the dream job, but you don't have to feel a sense of divine connection to a place or a people, but you must know that there is still a divine call to bring the kingdom of God right where you are. When we lose sight of a sense of purpose in the place that we are, the likelihood of compromise in our culture is so much higher. When we lose the sense of God wanting to use us in a place or a space, the sense of just doing whatever or whatever I feel like or whatever my emotions dictate today becomes so much higher. But when we come into our places of work or family or study with a sense of purpose that God is going to use me as a minister of reconciliation or use me to bring the gospel or share the good news or bring life and joy and goodness, then in that place we can stand in a culture of compromise. Is this making sense, church? It's so important that we understand that there is purpose in our position. And it may be that you're in a place and in a job where you know the Lord might be moving you on. And I would encourage you to pray the prayer 
that Nehemiah prayed. He said, Lord, would you strengthen the work of my hands to finish that season well and know that there's still people to be impacted in that space. I remember how present this was for me. I, I, um, I won't go through the whole story of, of how I ended up stepping into church ministry. By the age of 18, I'd ended up rejecting my university offers and I was just trying to be diligent to what the Lord had wanted me to do. I had such a sense of peace in his guide and his direction. I did a voluntary year here at church. It wasn't well enough organized yet to be called an internship. It is true. <laughs> but I knew that the Lord had something in this for me. But what happened is that as I was doing my voluntary year, I had to get a part-time job. And so there was a shift that I didn't even realize that was taking place in my head because I felt a sense of service and call in serving the church. When I was in church and doing ministry, I felt like there was purpose, that God wanted to use me. But then I would step into my workplace and I worked at a gym called Virgin Active. I think it's David Lloyd now. And I worked there on the, co the coffee shop and the bar and I did some tennis coaching even though I can't play tennis. Yeah, wow. I taught the five-year-olds and I was like, that is amazing. Can you show me how to do that? They paid for me to go on a course. I have no idea why. Anyway, I would step into church and feel a sense of purpose, but I would go into my workplace and I would feel no sense of purpose. It was like I was doing this to make sure I can facilitate the ministry that God wants me to do. But I had missed a massive truth that in every position, whether it be your family, whether it be your church, whether it be your workplace, there is purpose right there. And I remember there being a shift in my thinking because I just got sick of it. My supervisor didn't really like me. I was like, why are you on a power trip? You get paid 20p more an hour than me and you hate me. And I remember that just some jobs that I really hated doing and, and there was a lovely lady, God bless her every day, she would come and she would ask for an extra hot latte. And I would always do it extra hot, but every time she would sip it and say, no, oh, it's not hot enough. I knew it was going to happen every day. These trivial things. If you're watching this, I love you. God bless you. I remember once, God forgive me for doing this. I, she gave me the latte back and I pretended to re-steam it again. I thought, she's lying. I've heated this up very hot. So I put the steam on, didn't put it under the steam. I gave it back to her, sipped it. Oh, that's perfect. I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Sorry for that. Please don't do that. That's not bringing excellence like Daniel. That is not the spirit of Daniel. I don't know what spirit that was. I heard someone shout out of spirit. I'm not going to ignore that. But I missed a sense of purpose in this place. And I remember in the turn of the year, in the January, I'd heard a sermon about bringing the kingdom. And I just felt such a sense of conviction. I thought, Lord, there is people who do not know you. And you have put me there with your spirit within me, called me as a minister of reconciliation. My ministry is not just in church. My ministry is right here where you've placed me. And I had some beautiful experiences with that mindset shift. I didn't look forward to meeting that lady to make her coffee. But I did look forward to a sense of, Lord, what, what might you want to do through me today? My job was still the same, but there was a joy that had emerged because there was a sense of purpose. I remember we had some beautiful moments and the kitchen, if you've ever worked in a kitchen, it can be quite like a, a heated place. <laughs> Pardon the pun. 
It can get heated. Emotions can get high. Chefs can be quite aggressive. And I remember the chef in the kitchen. We got on really well, but there was times, especially when it got busy, it just got so intense. And they knew that I was a Christian. And another guy that I worked with, we were there. And I said, hey, guys, I believe that God gives us peace. And I just said, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was like, how about we pray before our shift? And I thought I was going to get shot down for this. Like, no way. They were like, yeah, that would be amazing. Amazing. And I was like, I didn't think this far ahead. What do I pray now? But we stood the three of us in that kitchen, two of them not knowing Jesus, we held hands and we prayed, Jesus, would you bless us with your peace? I had opportunities to share Jesus with various people. I still had to go and serve coffees and my hand would tremble because there was the cost of cups are really big and heavy. But anyway, there was a sense now of purpose. And hey, revival didn't break out in Virgin Active but something had shifted in me because I knew that there was purpose in my position. Some of us, we might go with a sense of purpose to our workplace, but then we go home and we don't think that God wants to bring his kingdom there. Hey, let me tell you, God wants to bring the kingdom in your family. Parents, I would encourage you, even this week, to think, Lord, is there something that you want me to speak prophetically over my children? To be spirit-led when we get home, not just out on the streets. Amazing. I just spoke to Erlu before the start of the service. Erlu has the spirit of an evangelist. She is amazing. She said to me, she came forward, she said, a car's been in for an MOT this week, so they got an Uber to church. And in the Uber, she knew there was a sense of purpose, because this woman knows that she's called to bring the good news. And she said to me, amazing. The Uber driver gave his life to Jesus on the drive here. Incredible, let's give God praise. Hey, do you know when you get an Uber, there is purpose. There is purpose in the places that the Lord has placed you. In times of difficulty, it's one of the first things I believe the enemy comes after. One of the things that he tries to steal. I won't go into it, but the story of King David, he gets anointed as a teenager and it's, he's most likely 30 before he comes, becomes king. And, and during that time, he spends most of the time on the run from a madman king. There's the promise and there's an expectation and it takes years for its fulfillment. And in Psalm 57, there's this beautiful line in verse 2 where David, he's in the cave on the run for his life. It does not feel like there's purpose in that moment, but he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, your purposes for me will prevail. And some of you need to hear that today. You need to wake up on your Monday morning and go, Lord, your purposes for me will prevail. Maybe there was a prophetic word of your life and it very much doesn't look like it right now, but speak over yourself that prayer of David to say, Lord, your purposes for me will prevail. This is the sovereign God we serve in his providence. He is weaving together an incredible tapestry of grace and we get to be part of it. But he would say today, would you trust me? Would you trust me? Would you walk with a sense of purpose? Would you go into your normal every day believing for extraordinary moments because you serve an extraordinary God? We stand here and we worship a God who is a supernatural God and we have a call to go, would you naturally step out and bring the supernatural to your workplace? My dad, he inspires me in this. My dad's a, he's a, a site foreman. He walks on loads of different sites and 
It's a hard and hostile environment, but he's done so many things to bring the kingdom. He's always got stories. And I love it because he knows that he's got a job to do. And he does his job really well. But he knows that there is a bigger mandate and a bigger call on his life to bring the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Right, wherever you are, there is purpose in your position. Secondly, this morning, before I go on for too long on that point, there is power in grace and truth. There is power in grace and truth. I believe a key to unlocking influence and impact for the kingdom of God in your life is walking a life full of grace and truth. Two verses are going to come behind me on the screen. Daniel 1.8 and Daniel 2.14. And these are two brief examples where we see Daniel, a man who was so sure of his conviction. You see that as you look at the story of Daniel. His name meaning God is my judge. He knew that God was going to judge him. He was a man convicted of God's ways and his truth. A man who was resolved. And yet we see just two instances here of this truth, this conviction being outworked with grace. Being outworked with a sense of wisdom and tact. And I know this is massively something that I have had to grow in and continue to. I feel such a deep sense of truth at points, but that doesn't need to be expressed in angst or anger. I said that angrily, didn't I? Sorry. We are told that Daniel walked with an excellent spirit. He lived out his convictions and he first let the truth shape his life. He was considered, he spoke with wisdom and tact, not in aggression or a way that was demeaning. He was full of grace and truth. And this is something we are called to as followers of Jesus because he came as the fullness of it. John 1, 14, and I love this. says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Not 50-50, not half and half, not some days all truth, not some days all grace. He came full of grace and truth. This is something we are called to emulate. And I believe as we try and stand strong in a kingdom of compromise, in a world of compromise, where there's so many things shouting for us to live a different way. If we're going to live standing in that place, then we need to live full of grace and truth because there is power in it. Why does truth matter? Because God's ways work and his life brings fullness. And truth means standing on his ways. Truth matters because it sets people free. In John 8, Jesus says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth confronts people. It says, this might be the way that you think, but this is God's way. The truth sets people free. It doesn't bind people up. People think that God might come and inhibit. It's a a false view of God in our world. But God's truth, it brings us freedom. Because it would live in as we're designed to live by our creator. There is an enemy who is seeking to steal and kill and destroy. And a lack of truth, it will hurt people. Truth makes us look more like Christ. His word says that truth sanctifies us. And it's God's will that we would look more like Jesus. So church, let us not give away truthfulness. Let us put off falsehood. The the world has, has done away with truth in so many ways. 
Truth is now subjective. Everyone can have their own and be true to themselves. And, and God says, my word is truth. But he doesn't come and, and force it. And that's why grace matters. Why does grace matter? Because it's his grace that changes us and teaches us. Titus 2, 11, one of my favorite verses, it says the same grace that has saved us is the same grace that teaches us. His kindness, his grace teaches us. Grace matters because we right now, we see only in part. We get it wrong too. One day we will fully see him and be fully like him. But right now we're going to get things wrong every day. Anyone in need of grace here? God bless you if you didn't put up your hand. 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about being like a clashing symbol if we do things without love. You see, the thing is, if we don't carry God's heart and his grace when we share his truth, people don't really hear us. People want to know that they're loved. People want hope. They don't want an argument. People's deepest, longest need and desire is to be filled and know God. And yet there can be so many layers that sit in between that. One of my favorite proverbs says that a wise man seeks to understand, but a fool seeks to air their own opinion. We need grace because we do not know it all. We don't know anyone's story. You might know a glimpse of it, but we can be so, so quick to judge But let us seek to be an understanding people. Seek to listen, not just to be heard. I'm telling this to myself. But I'm sure even as I get up here, people make quick judgments about life, about your story. Each one of us do it. We have to be so quick to say, Lord, let me see them by your grace. Let me see this person as you see them, oh God. And in that place, we can have his heart for people. So what does grace and truth look like? It looks like being unashamed of your savior, but fully aware of the person in front of you. It looks like being convicted of truth and yet full of compassion. It means walking in deep humility, knowing that the only one with the fullness of grace and truth is Jesus himself. It means that we don't walk argumentative. We're not trying to win. We're trying to show people Jesus. A helpful way that I find to do this is is defer to scripture and show people your humanity. When you're talking with someone, say, this is what I believe that God says. And I struggle with this too. I'm just walking, trying to obey him and And submit to him because I know that life is found there. Hey, you've got the word of God. That trumps your opinion whether you like it or not. Grace and truth is powerful, church. When I consider the power of grace and truth, I think of a powerful story of a man named David Bennett. And David Bennett, he's an author now and he's studying his PhD. He's a theologian and and David, just in his late teens, as he, as he grew up in his life, he felt that Christians were so against him. He felt that they were ideologically opposed to him. And in his own words, he was staunchly against Christians. He's an academic man. He went to study at Oxford University. And he says he would see Christian uni- union posters. And he would tear them down. 
He was just angry, angry at Christians, what they stood for. He was angry at God. So he was an academically minded man, but not only was he sent, set intellectually against God, but he was set emotionally against him too. There was a massive wall up to Christians and to Jesus. I wonder how true that is for so many in our world. We sometimes think it's just about them knowing truth or it's just about a mindset shift, but actually there can be so many emotional walls. And when we walk with grace and truth, sensitive to the person of Jesus and his spirit, then we could be attuned to that. It might be grief or it might be anger. It might be a negative experience of some expression of church. It could be not anything intellectual, just some emotional barrier. And David tells the story of his first experience with God. And he was in a bar in Sydney and ended up connecting with a filmmaker. And he'd seen some work from her that he'd really admired and he'd loved. And he'd not met her before, so he went and he introduced himself, said hello and, and who he was and thanked her for her work. And he said, what inspires you to do your work? And she said, God. And he was like, no, not a Christian. And they ended up having a little bit of a debate about God. And I'm going to read because he says this. She asked him the question, have you ever experienced the love of God, David? And he writes, no Christian had ever asked me that question. As a postmodern experience attracted me, I accepted the prayer with an agnostic logic. If you don't know about whether there's a God, you have to be open to prayer. Love that. And she prayed for me and I had an incredible encounter with God. I felt this tingling sensation and then it was like someone pouring oil over my head. The love of God hit me and I was weeping. It wasn't emotionalism, it was healing. It was this deep, almost ache of intimacy that I'd always longed for being fulfilled. Wow. This man who had been so set against the church, so set against Jesus and his followers, was undone by the love of God. Now listen, I know I haven't just given you a quick fix to what grace and truth looked like because there isn't one. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made, but this was a moment of prayer, of inviting Jesus into someone's world. And this story always stays in my head. Prayer is a beautiful expression of grace and truth. It really is. If you're stuck, I encourage you, ask someone if you can pray for them. They might turn you down and reject you. It's happened to me a number of times. But hey, that's okay. We want the fullness of grace and truth. And so in prayer, we invite the power and presence of Jesus Christ. Let's walk in, in the power of grace and truth, church. And the final point I want us to understand today is that there is a person to be revealed through you. There is a person to be revealed through you. Time and time again, in moments in the book of Daniel that we've looked at where the people of God stood firm and shared truth but were respectful and firm, we see that these kings, these ones who worshipped other gods, they came to a revelation of Yahweh. Just two snippets here of Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 2:47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar come into this understanding of God. And I love this from Darius. This is some better praise than I could ever pen. 
on the back again of the people of God standing firm and bringing the kingdom. He says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Amen? Amen. Because of some young men standing firm in a culture of compromise, these powerful kings worshipped. And the truth is that we're given these lessons, these teachings on how we stand firm and what it might look like to resolve and to pray. Why? Because there is a person to be revealed through you. Jesus himself to be revealed through your life. How wonderful that you can introduce people to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to invite the band up as I draw to a close this morning. You know, we've mainly focused on the first six chapters of the book of Daniel in this series. And the final six chapters of Daniel reveal prophetic dreams and visions that Daniel had, he had of the future. And I am not about to launch into a teaching on these. You know, scholars are uncertain or disagreed about some things, but there are some things that are very clear relating to the end times where Jesus returns. In fact, Daniel is the most quoted book in the Old Testament book in the book of Revelation. And I just wanted to read these verses as we think about the person to be revealed through us from Daniel 7, 13 to 14. This is Daniel. In my vision at night, I looked and there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is Daniel's words. And he calls of one the Son of Man, sharing sovereignty in heaven with God, being worshipped. One who is worshipped for all eternity by men of every language. And in the context of the book, it comes on the back of evil being destroyed. Who is this son of man? Well, in the four gospel accounts, Jesus called himself the son of man more than 80 times. It was undeniable. Jesus, the son of man, Jesus, God himself. Hey, if anyone ever disputes with you that Jesus claim to be God, reference this. Jesus, the Son of Man, the one with everlasting power, authority, glory, the one with an everlasting kingdom whom one day people from every tribe, nation and tongue will worship. And even as the return of Jesus was being revealed to and through Daniel, so is Jesus to be revealed through your life. How wonderful that we can reveal Jesus, the beautiful Savior, the magnificent King. Church, we are called to bring the kingdom because there is a King. A King who has come and given his life as a ransom for many, but there is a King who is returning. He will return in glory and in power. And he says, there's a choice. People can choose to be part of my kingdom and have life and eternity with me or they will belong to the kingdom of darkness. 
And he says, my plan for this earth is you. My redemptive plan and my purpose is you. The plan to bring my kingdom and my rule and reign is the church, the body of Jesus Christ. We're called to bring the kingdom church. And we're going to end in a moment's time and I would love to take an opportunity to pray that we would be a people who bring the kingdom, that know we are called, that know that we are positioned, that have a sense of purpose and walk with grace and truth and know that there is a person being revealed through our lives. Who is going to sit here in this house because of your life and your story? Who in 10 years' time is going to be raising their children in the ways of the Lord because you shared about King Jesus? Which families now who are sitting here right now in this very moment in their home thinking there is no hope in this life? Who is going to be changed in a year's time because you shared Jesus? Who in this moment thinks that there is no God and yet you, the bringer of the kingdom of God, you're going to pray for someone and they're going to be healed. You're going to pray for someone and they're going to experience the love and hope of Jesus. Church, you're called to bring the kingdom. I want to end with these verses from Luke 4. And Jesus here was quoting from Isaiah 61. And these were prophetic words spoken to a people in darkness and captivity. And Jesus said, they're fulfilled in me. He says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is the business the King is about. He is about binding broken hearts, setting captives free, proclaiming freedom for the prisoners. He is about the business of bringing hope in despair and light in darkness, church, peace in anxiety. He's bringing joy in depression. He's setting the oppressed free. This is our Jesus. And He said, would you be part of it? Would you join me because you are called to bring the kingdom? Jesus here himself says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And I believe in this moment, the Lord wants to anoint us afresh, to ignite something afresh in our hearts that we would know that we are called to bring the kingdom of God. So I'm just gonna invite you to close your eyes for a minute. Just bring yourself before the Lord. And in a moment's time, I'm going to invite you, if you say yes, to bring in the kingdom, to say, yes, I know I am called, and Lord, I am partnering with you, then I'm going to invite you to stand. So if you know that's you, I'm just going to give a few moments as you come before the Lord. If you are saying yes to this call to be a kingdom bringer, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come and search our hearts, search our minds. Lord, we call away fear in the name of Jesus. We call out courage in your mighty name. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. Jesus, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for your children. Thank you for all those that have responded and saying yes to you, Jesus. To say, yes, I will be part of this, Lord. I don't know what it looks like, but Lord, I trust you. And so Holy Spirit, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, would you fall afresh on us, we pray. We cry out to you, Jesus, and say that we need you because there is a world that needs you. 
Holy Spirit, would you come and bring courage? The word of the Lord says that you do not have a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power and of love and a sound mind. And I speak that spirit over you in the name of Jesus for all those stood here and all those stood at home. Lord, we said, here I am, send us. Just gonna invite you to pray your own prayer before the Lord. Whatever you need to say yes to in this moment. Maybe there's something that you're holding so tightly onto, the Lord would say, would you just trust me with that? Would you trust me with that? Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We bless your beautiful and precious name, Jesus.